Well, in just a moment, I'm going to be reading from Matthew's Gospel, and we'll pick up at chapter 19. So let me encourage you to get a Bible or a New Testament and open it to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. Can you remember the first time or one of the first times that you went to a museum? Uh, It was a fascinating thing for me. Now, uh, most of you know I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, way back when, by the name of uh, Clarence Saunders, who basically innovated what we know today as um, the supermarket or grocery stores, where you basically have products on all these shelves, and you go up and down the, sh- the, the rows, and you shop, and you retrieve the items off your shelves, off the shelves yourself. He, he innovated all that. You think, gosh, that's kind of a no-brainer, but he was the one that uh, first not didn't have clerks going and retrieving stuff for you and, and getting it for you. Anyway, he became very, very wealthy, and uh, as he did, he created a mansion for himself out of pink marble. And it was a a spectacle to behold. Later, uh, because of some things with the stock market, he went bankrupt and uh, lost his home. And the city acquired his home and turned it into a museum. And so the Pink Palace Museum in Memphis was the first museum that I ever went to as a kid. And it was fascinating. There was a lot of cool stuff all over the place. But I especially remember one room where it was filled with uh, stuffed animals. From all over the world. And so uh, I'm talking about the real animal that had been killed and stuffed. So there's like these big elephants, big giraffes, lions and tigers, all this stuff all around the room. And so I'm a little kid and I come in here and I'm just like, because they're all life size. And I'm just blown away by what I am seeing. And then they had over in this other little area in the same room kind of an interactive kind of space. And there was this long tube that looked like a tree trunk, and it had a series of holes on the side. You've seen this kind of thing. And the idea was uh, you would walk up to it, and you would put your hands into those holes, and you would feel something inside that tree trunk that you could not see. Right? You've done this? And some of you are going, no, I'm not as dumb as you. But, um, you know, that. you would reach in there and you'd feel some little furry thing and you're like, whoa, what is that? And then you'd come over here and you'd reach in and you'd feel some slimy, gooey thing. And you're like, what is that? And on top of this tree trunk was a little lid. And after you put your hands in there, you could lift the lid to see what you'd been, you know, handling. And see if you could have guessed what you were handling and so on like that. I say all that to say this. That's a whole lot like the way some of us are feeling about God and the kingdom of God. And the activity of God and the works of God, the promises of God, they seem like these big, awesome things that can be a little intimidating. And sometimes we just, you know, it's kind of like we're trying to get a feel of it, but we can't see what we're feeling. And so we got a little guess thing going on here about this and a guess thing going on about that. And so I wanted to ask you. Because it can be both adventurous and scary to reach in and touch things you can't see. What are you seeing from God these days? What kinds of insights do you think God is giving you about who you are and what he's up to with you? 
Do you have a clue? Do you get it? So I want to spend the next few minutes uh, talking about how one of the things that Jesus is up to with us in this hour is to help us deal with our darkness. You know, what's in there? I can't see. And bring sight to where we are, if you will, blind. Especially as it in regards to himself and what he's up to with us. So we're going to do this by doing a little surveying of some of the activities of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, if you've been tracking with what we've been talking about today, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And then the Sunday after that's Easter. And so we're looking forward to that. We're going to have a lot of great experiences of worship and celebration during all that time. And so when I began to prepare for all of that, and it all begins like next week, Palm Sunday, I'm looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We're going to talk about it next week. And I just kind of had this question pop up. What happened before that? Do you know what happened before the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday? And so I did something that I don't do real often, but I I do it every now and then. I started reading the Bible backwards. You ever do that? I don't mean sentence by sentence. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. But I would back up and I'd look at this section. Oh, that happened just... And then I'd back up and look at another section. Oh, that happened before that. And then I'd back up and look at another. All the way back to chapter 19 in Matthew. And you know what I discovered? Just before the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem that leads into the whole week of passion and then, you know, the Last Supper and the crucifixion and the resurrection and so on. The last thing that Matthew tells us about is Jesus healing two blind guys. You go, okay. I read the New Testament. He heals crippled people. He heals, you know, you know, various kinds of diseases and all So he healed two blind guys. But when I started reading the New Testament backwards, I saw episode after episode after episode of spiritual blindness that culminated with Jesus healing blind men. And then, boom, triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, ride the donkey into town, hosannas, all that kind of stuff. And so I want us to go there today. We're going to reflect on that a little bit as Jesus encounters blindness. And we're going to back up from the triumphal entry. And we're going to start off with chapter 19, verse 16, in a passage that is typically referred to as the story about the rich young ruler, the rich young man. Now, if you know the story, and and I'm going to, as I talk about each of these, I want to encourage you to look at the text and kind of read some of the words of the text while I'm talking about it. So it'll come alive to you right out of the text. But here's this guy who's a religious guy. He's apparently young. He's apparently wealthy. And he apparently has authority over a number of other people, thus a rich, young ruler. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, 
Okay, so I got a question. What's necessary in order to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you, you want to make sure that you're doing the commandments. And he says, okay, so like which commandments? Little nitpicker, stickler kind of guy, you know those people? Which ones? And so Jesus starts listing them off as basically the, the Ten Commandments that he's putting out there for this guy. And this guy says, well, you, I've kept them all. And then Jesus uniquely says to the rich young ruler, and I say uniquely because we don't have a record of him ever saying this to anybody else. He says, well, then go and sell all that you have and give it all to the poor. Hey, I'm interested to know, how do you have eternal life? Keep the commandments. Which ones? Well, this, 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 this. I, I got those covered. Then sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, that's not something he says to everybody because everybody doesn't have the same situation that this rich young ruler had going on, which was what? He had an idol. Stuff. Money was too important to him because the text goes on to say, what's it say? He went away sad. He didn't do what Jesus said because he had a lot of wealth. He didn't want to give up all that wealth. That was more important to him than God. And Jesus knew it. And he nailed it. So get this. The young man is so blinded by all of his wealth and prosperity, he cannot see that the treasure of the universe is standing right in front of him. Friends, this is huge. Because right now, the God of the universe, the creator of this world, the almighty God, the holder and owner of everything is right before us right now. He's not some concept. He's not some force. He's not some impersonal thing off somewhere else. He is right here with us right now. But some of us can't sense him, we can't see him, we can't hear him because of the distraction of something that's bigger to us than him. The rich young guy had money and stuff too big and he couldn't even perceive God. What's too big in your life? Then you move to the next text in verse 27. The twelve disciples... See how Jesus handles this rich young guy, and the guy goes off sad, you know. And Jesus says, it is really hard for a rich guy to get into heaven. Because they get so distracted with money and stuff. And Peter, all the disciples are a little perplexed at this time. But Peter says, oh Lord, we have given up everything. Now, you ask this guy to give up everything, and he wouldn't. But we've given up everything to follow you. Is it going to be worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus, to sacrifice, to give of yourself? Is it worth it? And Jesus said, oh, Peter... James, John, Andrew, you know, all the guys. 
you can bet your life it's worth it. Let me tell you something. Someday, when my kingdom comes, I'll not only be on a throne, but all of you will be on thrones around me, and you will co-rule and co-reign with me. And everything that you've sacrificed, everything that you've given up in this world, will be repaid you a hundred times. Now, that number is symbolic of... You just just can't even keep up with how much greater the blessing, the reward is going to be for you that you followed me and that you sacrificed and you gave up your life to come after me. Now, remember who we're talking about. This isn't Joe, hey, the first time I ever met you kind of disciple. This is Peter, James, John. Andrew, all the guys who have been with Jesus for three years. They've been with him for three years. They have seen him do the most wondrous stuff you can imagine anybody doing. They've heard him speak what they knew had to be words from heaven. Surely this is the Son of God. So they had seen all kinds of things, and yet on another level, they could not see with Certainty with confidence. Is it, is it really going to be worth it? Can you see it's going to be worth it? Can you see if you follow Christ, if you live in, a, in an obedient kind of way, if you give up some of your preferences, that it will be worth it? Can you see it? It's worth it. And then the next little story that's found in chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, really peculiar little story because right on the heels of the disciples not being able to see really is it going to be worth it and jesus says yes it is then jesus goes so let me tell you a story when jesus tells stories what do we call those parables so he starts telling him a parable and uh, he's like there's this vineyard owner and he needs people to work in his vineyard who do you think the vineyard owner would be He's talking about God now and what God's doing in this world. And God invites us to do life with him and to serve him and to work in his vineyard in this world. So he's got this whole scenario that he's about to paint with this parable. He goes, so there's this vineyard owner and he needed laborers for his fields. So first thing in the morning, he goes down to where a bunch of laborers are hanging out. And he says, who wants to work for me? And they say, I do, I do, I do, I do. He says, well, come. I will give you a full day's wage for a full day's work. I'm going to give you a denarius each. That's measurement of money. So they come and they begin to work. Then Jesus said, but about nine in the morning, the owner goes back out and he finds some guys hanging around. He says, hey, you guys want work? Yeah, but nobody ever asked us to work for them. Well, come. Work for me and I'll pay you at the end of the day. He does the same thing. Noon. Then three o'clock in the afternoon. He keeps going into town and finding these guys hanging around. Hey, you want some work? Yeah, but nobody ever hires me. Nobody really wants me. Really? Okay, well, you come work for me. I'll pay you. Even five o'clock in the afternoon, how much day is left at five? He goes and finds some people just hanging around. You won't work? Eh, well, it's five. Nobody ever wants to come. 
Work my field, I'll pay you. So at the end of the day, the sunlight's going away. Everybody comes to the owner to get paid. And Jesus tells us that the vineyard owner begins to pay the people who he hired last first. And so those guys that showed up at 5 o'clock, they got a full denarius. Those guys that showed up at 3, a full denarius. The, the noontime guys, a full denarius. The 9 o'clock guys, a full denarius. And so the guys who had started with the vineyard owner at dawn, they're thinking, oh, this is cool. All these guys that came after us got a denarius. He must surely be going to give us a whole lot more than that. And they come to get their pay, and the vineyard owner gives them a denarius. And they're like, no, wait a minute. You paid the guy that showed up at 5 o'clock in the afternoon the same you paid me at 6 in the morning? Come on. And the vineyard owner says, Do you want to begrudge me being generous to whomever I want to be generous? Now remember... This is right on the heels of Jesus telling the disciples who had been with him from the beginning, 6 a.m. in the morning. It's going to be worth it. But don't forget, I'm looking for a bunch of latecomers. I'm so glad you're with me at the beginning. But I'm looking for some guys that are going to, you know, come along at 9, some at noon, some at 3, even at 5. Even in the last hour of the day. I'm looking for some people that will even come then. And I'm going to bless them as richly as I want to bless them. And you better get used to it. See, we have a hard time perceiving just how magnanimous, just how generous God can be and wants to be and will be. And so he... He works in our lives and we have these little blessings and we say, thank you, Jesus. And then he does something over here for this guy and it's pretty, you know, bigger than what he did for me. What is that? I sacrificed more than that guy. And my favorite response to that is witty, W-I-T-T-Y. What is that to you? (laughs) Yeah, but what about this guy? I didn't. Witty. See, the owner, see, the owner gets to do what the owner wants to do. He gets to be as generous as he wants to be. And then in the fourth place, we've got this bizarre thing. Jesus just says kind of in a sidebar way, right? He's just done the story and I'm going to be as generous as I want to be. And by the way, I'm about to go into the city of Jerusalem. And there they're going to beat me up. They're going to torture me. They're going to kill me. But don't worry about it. Really? Don't worry about it? No, because I'm going to rise again in three days. So right on the heels of that, as they're walking along, these disciples and a few other traveling companions, James and John's mother, Salome, says, "Uh, Jesus, I have a little question for you. They're, they're walking along. They're headed to Jerusalem, right? Because it's headed up to the triumphal entry day. You know? so they, and she's like, what, Salome? And she's like, you know, back there when you were talking about 
There will be a day when you come into your kingdom and all of these will have thrones around your throne and they'll kind of co-rule and co-reign with you. Yeah, uh, what about that, Salome? Well, I'm wondering, could you let James and John have the seat on the left and the right of you? I mean, as long as we're talking about thrones in the future and all, I was just kind of wondering, how about letting them sit on the left and the right, which just happen to be places of honor, places of importance, position. Now, Salome is a sincere, wholehearted follower of Jesus. Are you following me? This is a woman who is at the cross and later will be at the resurrection with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. Okay? Preview of coming attractions. So she is a wholehearted, dedicated follower of Jesus. Jesus just got through saying, by the way, I'm about to go to Jerusalem to die. And she's like, so I'm just wondering, can my boys sit on either side of you? Something is not being seen. And so Jesus says... You know, I love James and John, but there's no way they can drink the cup that I'm about to drink. And, and they kind of chime in at this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're ready to sacrifice. And he's like, well, you're going to sacrifice. But it's, you can't do the sacrifice that only I can do. But here's the deal. Do you really think that I, Jesus came into this world to be served? To get in a position where other people gather around me and serve? I did not come into the world to, to be served. I came into the world to serve. And so here's, here's a clue. Here's what I need you to see. If you're in fact going to be my follower, then it's going to be about giving up this dream of someday being in a position where other people serve you. And you are the servant. Newsflash. Can you see that? So I don't want you to lose this. All kinds of blindness that we've been encountering here. Where some other thing is an idol and it keeps me from seeing all that Jesus is. Where... I can get distracted about how he's blessing somebody else. Seems like more than he blesses me. That I can get distracted about the mighty things that he's going to continue to do in me and through me to the point where I think it's, a, it's all about me. No, it's still about him and what he's doing in the lives of others. I'm a servant. So all those little scenarios come up until finally in chapter 20, verse 29... We're with the two blind guys. All right? And so the journey continues. We're going to Jerusalem. Going to have the triumphal entry, the donkey, the hosannas, all that kind of stuff. And as we're making the journey, we're passing a couple of blind guys on the side of the road. The crowd's getting all excited. Blind guys are going, what's everybody getting excited about? The crowd says, because this Jesus of Nazareth is about to walk through here. And these blind guys are going, oh, he might even be the Messiah. We've been hearing about that. So about the time Jesus gets there, they start shouting out, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. It's really obnoxious. 
It's just really annoying. And everybody around these two blind guys are saying, shut up. Shut up. What are you doing? Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Shut up. And Jesus stops. He said, what can I do for you? What would you do? What would you say if Jesus said today, what can I do for you? Got a list? Because these two guys knew they were blind, there was only one thing on the list. Would you give us sight? Would you allow us to see? And it's a very interesting response that Jesus gives. One of the versions of the Bible says Jesus had pity on them in that moment. Another version says Jesus had compassion on them in that moment. Look at your verse and see which word it uses, pity or compassion or something else. The Greek word, slagnixomai. Do you like that word? It's a word that is referred to in languages as a guttural. You have to kind of spit it to say it, and it comes out of the gut when you do And it just so happens that this guttural word refers to internal organs, like liver, spleen, things like that. In other words, when Jesus heard these two blind guys say, have mercy on us, would you heal us, would you give us sight? Immediately, he felt it in the gut. With compassion, with pity, with a desire to bless. It's the same word that's used when Jesus fed multitudes of people. It's the same word used when Jesus could see the crowd of religious people who didn't really know God. And he said they're like sheep without a shepherd. It's the same word that Jesus used about the good Samaritan and how he felt about the guy who got beat up on the side of the road. It's the same word that in the prodigal son story, the father feels toward the son. Translated pity or compassion. But it's this gut-jerking kind of, I care about this, you matter to me. See. What do you need today? What can I do for you? What if you got it that you're blind? What if you got it? That you just barely see glimpses of who God is and what God's up to and who he has made me to be and what he's up to with me. What if you got it that you, you, you just said, oh, Lord, would you allow me to see? I used to see. So I'm not continuing to like grope in the darkness with what I don't. Because it's my sense today that he wants to bless you. In that kind of way. So seeing can be translated into a couple different ways. Friend, if you have never 
committed your whole heart to Jesus as a follower of Jesus, then you don't see what life is all about. And so the invitation today is, would you commit your whole heart to him? Would you stop doing life your way, turn around and start doing it his way? Turn and start doing it with him. The Bible says it this way, we're all lost. We're all groping around. We're all in the darkness. We can't really see until we come to Jesus, who is the light. And then he begins to drop the, the, the covers off of our eyes so that we can see. That's one way that he brings sight to us. Another way is maybe you've already crossed the line of faith and you are a follower of Jesus. But you've been so caught up with stuff and idols or what's happening with other people. Or with your own ambitions about who gets to have what kind of position and what kind of power and all that kind of thing. That you're not seeing that it's all about him doing the servant thing in you like he was a servant. And so seeing for you is about reorienting your life from how can I make it better for me to how can I serve him and others. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have a closing prayer to this talk. Jerry is going to help us reflect on things that God's been saying to us about seeing like really. And I'm going to go to the back of the room. And I'm just going to hang out there for the next few minutes. And Ryan and Aubrey are going to be back there and a couple others. We're just there to pray. And if you'd say, Scott, you know what? I know I need to commit my life to Christ. I've been lost. I want to be found. Will you pray for me about that? Then come back there and meet with me. Let me pray. I'll let somebody else pray with you about being a committed follower of Christ. Maybe you're saying, but you know what? I haven't been able to see this whole servant thing of life that it's not about how I can you know make life work better for me but it's about how I can make life happen for God's causes and for other people and I pray for me about selflessness and servanthood then come we'll come back there and we'll, we'll pray for you okay let's bow together father in these moments you have been speaking And you have been showing yourself. Help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. God, help us to look through your eyes. To discern things as if it were through your ears. Help us to fully engage life in all the ways that you invite us to engage life. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.